Kia ora, and welcome to the Dawn Chorus. It is Monday the 23rd of August. I'm Bernard Hickey, and this is the Kaka's morning email. Well, the podcast that goes with the morning email. Today I want to talk about our elimination strategy, which we are pretty much alone in the world with now. A couple of weeks ago, the Skeg report essentially doubled down on it, and the aim was to keep eliminating until at least everyone over the age of 15 had been offered a vaccination. The essence of it was that we would stay with potential level four lockdowns and with an elimination strategy until at least the first quarter of next year and then look at some sort of limited opening up of the borders. So that would mean no change in current MIQ capacity, uh, continued um, restrictions at the border with uh, people coming and going. And uh, it would mean, of course, that um, you would uh, continue, in theory, to have more level four lockdowns when rather than if Delta got through the border. However, uh, this latest Delta lockdown has made clear to the government, and it's starting to dribble out in various comments from within the government that they understand they can't keep elimination going forever. And at the current rates, it would mean keeping elimination going well into next year and potentially having even harder MIQ conditions and lockdowns at the border. Let me try to explain why that is and refer to some of the comments that we're now seeing from uh, uh, senior people in, the in and around the government. First up, I wanted to play some audio from an interview yesterday that Jack Tame at TVNZ's Q&A program had with Chris Hipkins, who is the COVID-19 minister. Have a listen to this. I want to take a, a big picture look at this outbreak so far. Clearly from the last couple of days and the number of cases we've seen, Delta is highly infectious, even amongst those who have been vaccinated. Given Delta's infectiousness, is elimination still a viable strategy? Look, <clears throat> Delta does raise some big questions that we're going to have to grapple with. You know, a 24-hour period between, or less than 24 hours between someone getting it and then passing it on to others. That's like, that's like nothing we've dealt with in this pandemic so far. Um, and that does change everything. It does mean that uh, all of our existing protections uh, start to look less adequate and less robust as a result of that. So we, we're looking very closely at what more we can do there. But yes, it does raise some pretty big questions about what the long-term future of our, of our plans are. So how might our plans change? Um, look, too early to tell. We're still mm. aiming for elimination at this point, and I think uh, we, we, we do need to give it a really good go and see if we can drive it out again. Uh, that's absolutely our number one priority at the moment. That's absolutely what we're focused on. But we also need to drive up our vaccination rates, and we're really focused on doing that. We've recalibrated our vaccine campaign so that it can continue despite the level four lockdown. And in fact, if anything, it's actually going, we're doing more vaccinations now than we would have been had it not been for the lockdown. So we're, we're very focused on thinking and making sure that we're preparing for a different kind of a future. But at this point, we don't really know what that will look like. But, but just tell me a little bit more about how you and your officials feel that Delta is changing, um, changing the game. 
Well, I think if you if you look at our overall um, risk profile and what we've been doing to manage risk, you know, we've uh, we've we've got a really good, robust managed isolation for people coming into the country um, in the pre-Delta world. Now, in the in the Delta world, though, it just highlights how quickly the virus can spread. Someone can have infected a number of other people before they even make it to managed isolation. So the very act of coming through the airport potentially um, becomes even more risky than it was before. So we're having to think really carefully about are there, are, are there more things we can do to reduce risk? Now, the thing is, we've been doing that all along. So mm. that we've, we've explored most avenues already. There, there aren't a lot of extra gains we can make here. What alternatives might be available then? <clears throat> At some point, we will uh, we will have to start to be more open in the future. And the Prime Minister set some of that out a few mm. weeks ago for us. And, um, and, and that will include making sure that we've got a very uh, high vaccination rate. The more people that get vaccinated, mm. uh, then the more options we're going to have. But I hope you don't mind me saying this is... this. To me, sounds like a, a change in tone and, and a minister facing the realities of a highly, highly infectious strain who is seriously reconsidering New Zealand's strategy. No, not at all. It's just a question of how that manifests itself. So I think we still want to try mm. and drive COVID out of as much as we possibly can, uh, that that's not that hasn't changed. That's the, the basis of elimination is that you drive it out wherever it pops up. I think we still absolutely want to do that, um, and that's exactly what we're trying to do at the moment. The, the reality, mm. though, is that with a you know virus that can be infectious within 24 hours of someone getting it, uh, that that does change the game a bit. Yeah, uh, of course we all want to do that, but are you saying it might not be possible? Look, at some point in the future, and again, we set this out a couple of weeks ago, so this isn't new thinking. At some point in the future, some of the measures that we are using, like lockdowns, mm. like a very, very you know, constrained border, uh, you can't sustain those forever. So at some point, you do have to have other alternatives. Um, and we're, we've been exploring those. So there'll be different settings at the border, mm. which will bring with them a different risk profile as well. Um, but what we've got to do is work out how we can continue with an elimination strategy with some things changing, including the fact that, you know, we can't sustain doing level four lockdowns mm. every time there's a community. So there we have it. Um, Chris Hipkins clearly softening the ground. I mean, he tried to row back on some of those comments there. You could hear that. But it's clear the government internally realised now that holding on to elimination for too much longer is just going to be too hard. Now, let me explain why. Yesterday the Australian government essentially gave up completely on elimination. There was an op-ed from Scott Morrison, the Prime Minister, in the News Corp papers uh, over on Sunday in which he laid out um, the reasoning for dropping elimination. This really is a confirmation of uh, the facts on the ground in New South Wales where Gladys Berejiklian, the our Premier of New South Wales, effectively also gave up on elimination last week. Scott Morrison is saying that Australia is ready to open up, that its ICU beds, its hospitals, its uh, drugs that it has to deal with people who are hospitalised can handle opening up once they get to 70-80% vaccination rates, which should be towards the end of this year. So they're going to stay in lockdowns until then, but essentially Australia is saying our health system is strong enough to cope with vaccination levels of 70-80% to 80 and the inevitable Delta outbreaks that will come. And remember that no one in the world yet really has been able to vaccinate 
at uh, from zero to 12. So people, uh, kids under the age of 12, everyone is now pretty much looking to vaccinate 12 to 15 year olds, but people under the age of 12 have not been given uh, permission to vaccinate yet. Okay, let's go over to New Zealand and look at our situation. So currently we have a million people out of 5 million who are vaccinated. That's a 20% complete vaccination rate. We're nowhere near 70% or 80%. And in fact, nowhere near the 90%, which um, behind the scenes people are saying is the threshold that we should look at in New Zealand. So um, we actually have about 750,000 doses uh, in the stockpiles now, and it's obvious that we need to get those out as fast as we can, particularly to the most vulnerable communities in South Auckland, the Māori and Pacifica communities, uh, many of whom have um, uh, conditions that make um, hospitalisation and death, if you're not vaccinated, um, much more likely. So, um, why is New Zealand in a slightly worse position than Australia? The key thing is our, uh, the state of our hospital system. So, um, you might have heard some comments around ICU beds and uh, how much capacity we've got in the last couple of days because it's becoming clear to everyone that when Delta gets out, and particularly um, before we're anywhere near 90% vaccinated, but even after we're 90% vaccinated, there is going to be significant stress on a hospital system which is already stressed. Got to remember that New Zealand has the second lowest level of ICU beds per capita in the OECD. Only Mexico is worse than us. Now that's where it was at the beginning of COVID in March last year and it hasn't improved. So we haven't increased the number of ICU beds that, are, that can be effectively staffed by ICU nurses. That's because it takes so long, five years, to train up the people to deal with the beds. So it's not just a matter of the equipment or the, the rooms, it's the scale of our hospital system. To give you an idea, Australia has twice the number of ICU beds per capita that we do. That's why they're talking about opening up and why we can't. So you've heard from Chris Hipkins there, but he's not the only one. Uh, Rodney Jones, who is an economist I have a lot of time for. He was based in China very quickly onto the outbreak in Wuhan. His advice to the government in February and March of last year was absolutely crucial in the decision to go hard and to go early. And uh, so he's very closely listened to inside the government. Uh, he was also an advisor to the Skeg report because of his um, skills and independence in modeling and uh, understanding how these um, outbreaks can develop. And he's saying that um, New Zealand needs to get ready for the next 18 months being much harder than the last 18 months, if that's possible. Essentially, he's saying, uh, if we're going to beat this, we have to have regular lockdowns, uh, that businesses have to get used to dealing uh, with customers inside lockdowns, because at the moment, uh, we can't uh, essentially open up the economy or open up the borders without having regular, um, deep, hard lockdowns to avoid our hospital system being overwhelmed. So Rodney Johns, you can see the quotes in the email as well. Also Adrian Orr over the weekend in a staff article pointing out that um, all around the world businesses are now having to deal with life 
in and out of lockdowns and essentially saying that, um, you know, we we are going to be in this position for some time. He seems relatively um, unfazed by that and said essentially that um, he's likely to keep hiking interest rates um, through that regardless. And um, this then uh, begs the question, you know, well, how bad is our ICU situation? Well, uh, there's some quotes in the uh, email today from um, uh, the head of New Zealand's ICU Doctors Association, essentially saying that um, right now uh, we're pretty much full up, that even though we have more beds and ventilators, we don't have the nurses to handle it. And um, one of the risks, of course, is that if you have extended periods where your ICU beds are full up with uh, COVID patients, then you can't handle coronary incidents and various other dramas. So essentially, we don't have the ICU system to cope with um, COVID outbreaks. Now, um, what would our COVID outbreaks look like if we got to a very high vaccination rate? Surely that's going to save us. Well, no. There was a modelling out last week published in a paper in The Lancet showing that if New Zealand got to 90% vaccination and we opened our borders for two years where there were 10 cases of Delta that came through the border every day, that uh, we would have thousands of hospitalizations and over a thousand deaths. Now, one of the problems here, of course, is that unlike the previous strains of Delta, which seem to spare children, uh, the Delta outbreak in New South Wales shows that kids under the age of nine can get it. In fact, over the weekend, there were 200 cases recorded of kids under the age of nine with COVID symptoms, many of whom have been hospitalised. Now, New Zealand, remember, has only one hospital with paediatric ICU beds. That is Starship. So, our health system is not ready for COVID. And uh, that puts us in a really uncomfortable position where if we're going to avoid overwhelming our health system with the inevitable outbreaks, even over the level of 90%, and many of these um, people who will be sick will be kids who haven't had a chance to vaccinate because no one's expecting that we'll get approval for under 12s any time this year, then um, we face a really tough uh, decision. Do we open up and accept the risk that some of our unvaccinated kids will get so sick that they overwhelm Starship ICU and um, that in some cases they die. Because the alternative um, is to completely lock down our borders. Uh, we had calls over the weekend on Friday from the epidemiologists from Otago University, including Michael Baker and Nick Wilson, who again, very influential in our decisions to go hard and go early last year and continue to regularly um, say the right things. They are now suggesting that we have a complete suspension of all international flights. That, they say, is the only way to keep Delta out while we're relatively unvaccinated and our healthcare system can't handle outbreaks. That would mean absolutely no spots in MIQ, no one going in or going out. Um, the only people arriving really would be those people coming via ship. That is an extreme move, and certainly 
in any sort of legal, moral, humane, political, economic sense is just not viable for any more than a couple of weeks. Interestingly, they do point to Victoria, which did actually have one of these complete international flight bans for several months last year. But remember, um, that wasn't the case for all of Australia. So in effect, it would be like banning flights to Christchurch and having flights coming in through Auckland. So um, we're now in this really horrible position where um, to avoid outbreaks that overwhelm our health system, we have to look at uh, suspending all international flights, continuing to have the hardest lockdown, and even if uh, we go through a period of not having community cases in the uh, uh, cases spreading in the community, then uh, we will have more lockdowns because there will be more people coming through the borders. So um, at some point, we're going to have to give up on our elimination strategy. That's going to be really hard for us because, frankly, we're invested in it. It's our baby. We're so proud of it. And just last week, we were called on again to be really in love with our elimination strategy. But the government knows that they're in a position where they just can't sustain it in a realistic sense. And, uh, of course, we all uh, want our vaccinations to happen as fast as possible and for our health system not to be overwhelmed but at some point we're going to have to um, make that call. Australia made that call yesterday. Uh, they can do that because they have twice the number of ICU beds that we do. All of this uh, says to us that um, to really think about opening up, A, we have to be ready to go into lockdown pretty much all the time. Secondly, uh, we have to be ready to continue to have pretty strong uh, restrictions on MIQ. And uh, we have to beef up our ICU beds as much as we can, even though we know that we don't really have the staff for it. At the end of the day, we're in this position because for 30 years we underinvested in our health system. Effectively, voters and politicians chose tax cuts, low government debt, which of course means low interest rates and high house prices, we chose that instead of investing properly in our health system and also investing properly in our economy so that we could be uh, wealthier, well, more productive rather than wealthier because uh, our wages are 30% below Australia. Yet our health system obviously is half the quality of Australia, certainly in ICU beds term, terms. 30 years of underinvesting in our public infrastructure has caught up with us in the most awful way. Well, that should never happen again. Uh, I don't see any sign that anyone in government of any party is able to change or wanting to change that. This is all about the Public Finance Act and the obsession with keeping government smaller than 30% of GDP and to continue to not tax wealth. Uh, that has to change in the long run. Uh, if we're going to avoid uh, yet more problems like these pandemics, because of course there will be more in the future, let alone getting through this one. I'm Bernard Hickey. That was the Dawn Chorus on the Kaka. I welcome your comments below and we'll be back again 
tomorrow. Kakite anō.